But where are you really from? But where are you really from? Hey everyone, I'm Angela Lin, and I'm Jesse Lin, and welcome back to another episode of But Where Are You Really From? Today we have a special guest with us, Nick Anderson. Welcome to the show. Hi guys, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're super (laughs) stoked to have you. So this guest encounter is the magic of the internet as sometimes happens. (laughs) Nick follows our show, has listened to some of our episodes, reached out because he felt like he had some interesting experiences to share having lived abroad and formed a formative part of his life there. So we wanted to dig into that. Nick, we will let you introduce yourself, but we'll also want you to pepper in your answer to our signature question, but where are you really from? I dig it. I dig it. So everyone, my name is Nick. As Angela mentioned, lived overseas for a few years. Uh, Most of that time was in China and most of that was in Shanghai. That's what I'm really excited to share with you guys is that experience and kind of dive into that more. I am based in Los Angeles now and have been for 10 years. And I'm out in LA finding ways to share my experience, but also share Mandarin, uh, which has kind of been this developed passion of mine. Where am I really from is a great question. I am from like to the core Midwest. My brothers and I, we grew up a little bit around the country and we're born in different states around the country, but most of our time was just kind of growing up in the Midwest. So we're in the Midwest because I did my MBA in Chicago. So just Northern Illinois area. It's called Belvedere. I went to St. Olaf, which is a college based in Minnesota. And that's actually where I started learning Mandarin. Why did you choose Mandarin initially as your language? Because it's one of the hardest languages. (laughs) I was 18. Growing up in the Midwest did not have any discussion around Asia or China. And it wasn't even in like my in my school, right? We were learning world history, but it was all centered around. It was like very Eurocentric. And so there was this whole like part of the world that was just this question mark to me. Um, was 18, had done like years and years of Spanish, was doing pretty well in it. And did not want to go to college, came to my parents and mentioned that. And they asked me what my plan was. And I was going to move to Mexico and become like a Bacardi boy or something in Cancun. I needed to get out of the Midwest. I needed to explore. There was something pushing me a little bit. That was a definite no for my parents. They're like, no, you're going to college. So then I was like, all right, well, then I'm going to study Mandarin and I'm going to move to China. (laughs) And that's interestingly honestly, how it all started. It was just out of, first of all, a curiosity of just, I don't know anything about that side of the world. And then also just kind of an F you to my parents in a way. (laughs) That's fair. That's very fair. (laughs) Which which is adolescence, right? Like, okay, well, you're not gonna let me do this. Well, I'm gonna go do that. That sounds about right. So if I'm hearing it right, it's basically like, how do I get as far away as possible from this place that I grew up in that I don't feel myself in and a little bit of a throw in a dart at a map, if it sounds. Yeah, a bit, Angela, you're right. So 18, went to college, started learning Mandarin, just kind of on a whim in in a sense but then really started getting into it. 
visually, I was fascinated by characters. Again, just that side of the world being so unknown to me, I was really driven to kind of approach understanding it as much as possible. And, and through the language was a way to kind of go into that. So Shanghai, did you first get exposed to that city or choose to go to that city as like study abroad? Or how did you end up actually ending up there? Yeah, exactly. Through my college, there was this broad program. It was in Shanghai. It was a six-month program. This was into my junior year already. So this was like two years of Mandarin under my belt at this point, which, you know, it was shit for sure. <laughs> it was not, my pronunciation was horrible. My tones were just like embarrassing, but enough to get there and have a bit of a foundation to try to kind of improve it. It was a journey. I, I So I, I landed in Shanghai. I'm like 20 years old. And on the flight over, it was kind of this escapist thing of like, I'm finally getting out of the Midwest. I'm like, I'm going to be so far away. I'm going to be at a place where I don't know anyone. It feels like I'm going to the moon. And there was this decision of when I land in Shanghai, I'm just going to be gay. I'm going to tell people I'm gay. I'm going to be like, hi, my name is Nick and I'm gay. I, I just wanted to like, you know, there was this like very closeted experience for myself in the Midwest and just kind of like teenage years. I'm 19 or 20 leaving to go to China. I'm going to be, I'm completely free there in a way. That is so interesting. I mean, like you said 2005, right? So this is like kind of before all of the proliferation of internet content where you can just go online and be like, am I safe to do X, Y, and Z in this country? Was that a consideration for you? Or you were just kind of like, I assume that everyone will be like chill about it. I was pretty naive in making that decision. When I, when I mean I was going to say to everyone, hi, my name's Nick and I'm gay, I wasn't necessarily doing that with a lot of locals. I was still using judgment in that, but I just, I really wanted to experience that side of myself. And going to China, oddly, created a really safe space for me to explore that. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand, right? There's a lot of, there's a very big misconception of what that experience is like in China. If anything, I think my curiosity about China was really projected in people's reactions to me coming out to them. There was just a curiosity, like, what does that mean? Like I've had Chinese people ask me, well, what does that mean exactly, right? And I had to kind of like dissect it, translate it in a way, right? Because I would just say, gay, right? Like you, gay is kind of a very well-known word in China, right? There's like five English words that everyone in China knows. And it's like, hello, okay, bye-bye, gay, and party. It's the weirdest words that, they, that everyone knows. <laughs> Bringing it back, Jesse, I think I used caution in who I was coming out to, but it was more of like a thing for myself, I think, to just be like, I'm going to be gay here. I feel like there's a lot of specific language nuances, things that you would need to pick up in order to express yourself and communicate all of the wide world of words related to being gay. What, were, what are your like tips and tricks to picking those things up? I made a lot of friends with gay locals when I was in Shanghai. 
even gay expats, right? Like there was this little community. And by little, I mean little. Like at that time, it wasn't that big of a scene. And, you know, where the, there were clubs and things that we could go to. I remember my first gay bar was called Pink Home. And you would just kind of see people pretty regularly. And then you just like all of a sudden are in this like community of like, I don't know, 30 people or something it felt like. And it was a mix, which I liked as well. A mix of, you know, Chinese people, people from that were international students, business people, you know, like a, a nice mix of age. And I think that through making friendships with Chinese people that are gay, they definitely taught me a lot. More than even just through language, Jesse, even through like, I even kind of learned just in general how to, how to be gay, right? <laughs> and, 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 uh, through just, uh, experiences out there, through learning what is gay from a different perspective, right? Like, what is a, a Chinese gay person's experience like in, in China and Shanghai? It's fascinating. What? is that like i think i'm gonna be very ignorant here but you know we're we're taiwanese and like i have spent some time in china but i have not like lived there beyond maybe a month at a time but obviously there's a reputation that comes with the chinese government i think a lot of chinese ethnic people understand that there's a difference between the chinese government and like chinese culture chinese people so i'm curious what that experience was like being gay in China, like from like an official government lens versus like what your actual experience was as a as a person? Yeah, it's such a good question. The government does not support it at all. There isn't discussion around it. There isn't health care for gay men, HIV care or um, talking about condom use or, you know, like there's just no discussion around it. It's almost like it's not there is how the government kind of treats it. In Shanghai, for instance, there's international cities like Beijing, Shanghai. They have gay bars and they, it gets packed and it's like just men everywhere. So there's space for them. Although that's kind of dwindling with the current government at the moment. So through the government lens, no support. And in a way, it doesn't exist. My experience is going to be very different as a white American that speaks Mandarin. When I was sharing it with Chinese locals, there was much more, again, of like a, a general curiosity around it. I didn't necessarily feel any kind of judgment towards it. I think there's just a curiosity. And, they, and they're like, finally, I get a chance to talk to this white American guy. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about this before. Generally, I think the rule of thumb is very accepting unless it's your child. If it's someone else's child, that's totally cool. Like, you should love your child. Your child is great. If it's my child, we gonna have some problems here. That's interesting. So this was years ago. This is like a decade ago at this point, right? And Shanghai, China have evolved in a lot of really interesting ways recently. Taiwan, though, you guys, was incredible. I had never been before. I just spent three months at the beginning of the year. And it was to just kind of deepen my Mandarin a bit more, kind of go into the more traditional character route, right, which really blew my mind. I went there and I couldn't read shit. I was also really curious about the LGBTQ scene. Because in Taiwan, it was, I think, four years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, like four or five years ago, when gay marriage was was passed in, in Taiwan. 
And so I was really curious what that was going to look like, because in China, my experience was so different with the, again, the lack of government support, right? Um, you kind of mentioned earlier your experience coming out in China wasn't what people would expect it to be. Can you speak more on that? Like, what do you think people are thinking that it would be? And what's the difference between your experience? You know, on my TikTok, I share a lot about what we're just kind of going into. And I get a lot of comments around, why would you go to China and do that? Why did you decide to go there, right, to be gay? That's not, it's like not safe. There's this presumption of China not being a safe place for queer people. And I would argue it's safer than it is in the States. It's not violent. In a lot of ways, it's not supported or accepted, but that's happening here too. The state does not support it. The state does not talk about it, but the threat of violence is lower because the society is so orderly in a sense. Right. And again, as a white American, I really think that's like such a perspective to, or to understand my experience. That is a big crucial component to it. I think going there and coming out was safer than it was for me in the Midwest to come out. I also want to throw in two of my thoughts. One is that not to group all of Asia together, but because I just spent the last year largely living in Japan. And there is this simplification that a lot of Japanese people have when they think about like Japanese people versus foreigners. There's a lot of just like, that's just what foreigners do. Like that's a foreigner. So like when you talk about, you know, because you're a white American having the opportunity to be in China to have this coming out experience, I can imagine that a lot of Chinese people were also kind of like, oh, that just must be what like Americans do, you know? Like, oh, we don't understand American culture. So like, who am I to really judge that? As opposed to, I do think it would be different if we're a Chinese, like local person. Also, because my brother's gay. So anyways, so we have like a lot of things wrapped up around that. Oh, when you're talking about threat of violence versus not, I'm curious if you have the sense that the Chinese government and society approach to gayness is kind of like, don't ask, don't tell. That's kind of what I'm getting from the way that you're describing it. Yep, you're nailing it. That's a perfect way to describe it. Don't ask, don't tell. Are is there any violence, though? Because when I think of don't ask, don't tell also in general as like a concept, there's also this sense of like, as long as you don't flaunt it in my face, nothing will happen to you. But are there instances in China where it's like if it's flaunted in someone's face, for example, like older generation tends to be more conservative, not as accepting just across the board, right? Like even our parents generation, Taiwan or otherwise is violence a possibility in that case or it's just like it's really not compared to in the u.s i think mainland china gay people do not have the ultimate best experience being gay the don't ask don't tell kind of way of life is don't flaunt it but that in turn doesn't feel good for me right or like for this chinese queer person i'm sure right because in Taiwan, there are men holding hands everywhere, in, in Taipei at least, right? I was blown away by that for some reason. I think I'm so like kind of Chinese in a way, right? Like to see that really blew my mind. But I did a trip around the island and went to a few different towns. I was in Tainan, which was 
lovely. And I was talking about being gay with people I didn't know, like restaurant owners and stuff, right? Like it felt like I was in LA, right? Like there's no thought to it. Or like if you're in New York, so, so different when the government supports it, people start to support it too. Yeah, I think it's a it's a very different political atmosphere there. And I also feel like a lot of the travel stuff I read about the Taiwanese is like they're very friendly and they mind their own business. I won't say necessarily that people don't have an opinion about it, but they probably won't be like, you know, we hate gay people and you need to die like kind of situation. They're still going to be very polite and talking to you about whatever you are discussing with them. Right. It's It's not voiced. I think also because Taiwan is a democracy, there's this like sentiment that they want to project. And there, it's true, they are more progressive, but like there's also a desire to project themselves as more progressive, liberal leaning. But again, we really hold strongly to the like, as long as it's not your child is generally the sentiment. When you have to face it yourself, that's a whole different thing. I did meet a lot of Taiwanese gay guys when I was there, and I feel like the majority of them had not come out to their parents. And they were like mid-30s, late-30s. I was blown away. There were many reasons not to, right? But like, because my brother is gay. And certainly when my grandma was still alive, my mom was like, there's no way in hell you're going to tell grandma. Because it's really more like, because they know that older generations like truly wouldn't accept it. It's just not even fathomable that like that's a way of life. There's a lot of kind of like saving face and like trying to prevent any like unnecessary old people drama <laughs> seems to be like a lot of the pushback on making it widely known, even if they've come around to it themselves. I think that's something that Mandarin has really helped me with, actually, is going to these places and actually getting a chance to kind of scratch the surface of this really complex world, culturally, historically, politically, but getting a chance to really kind of widen my perspective of you have such a different experience. And I want to know more about that. Well, let's dig into that because you've mentioned now a couple times that you teach Mandarin. So let's talk about that first. Like, how quickly did you eventually get to like fluent Mandarin? Because if you're teaching people, you must be pretty dang good at Mandarin. So what was that trajectory like? What was your biggest struggles around that? And how did you eventually end up actually teaching Mandarin? Um. So I was horrible, horrible, horrible at Mandarin when I first arrived in Shanghai. No one understood me. My tones were garbage, right? Like all of it. And it's complex, as you mentioned, right? It's like a quite a difficult language to master or even begin to master. I, in that first six months in Shanghai, really made it a point to speak as much Mandarin as possible. In that time, I also made a lot of friends with Chinese people that didn't speak English. And so we were just using Mandarin to communicate. So I'm just using it every day, all the time. I went back to the States, graduated, and immediately went back to China to just keep improving my language. And again, living there, you need to speak Mandarin to rent an apartment to like, right? Like I had to find a landlord somehow and I had to open up a bank account and not, none of this was in English. So it really put me into uncomfortable spaces in the language, but that really helped then to improve and grow it, expand it, apply it, and in a way, master it. I say in a way, because when I was just in Taiwan recently, 
I was like, what is on the menu here? I do not, that makes no sense to me, right? So even just in Taiwan, I was like, wow, traditional characters are blowing my mind. And point being, now I'm teaching. I oddly started teaching in Shanghai. I was on a reality TV show. Tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) It was called Shanghai Rush. And it was this very kind of copy of The Amazing Race. It was within the city limits of Shanghai. And we're running around doing challenges and finding clues. And my teammate and I got third place on the show. So the the network that it aired on, after it aired, invited me to do four other TV shows. One of them was tasting food at a restaurant and talking about it. One was like walking around the city in Shanghai and correcting English mistakes on signs. One was embarrassingly America's Funniest Home Videos, where they basically cut out Bob Saget and put me on a Oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to need a video. Send me a YouTube link. I, need I think to it's on the this. dark web. I think it's on the dark web now. And then the other show I did was Teaching Mandarin. And it was with this woman who was from China, and we were just kind of like going through little skits and things like this, right? That kind of sparked my interest in potentially sharing Mandarin in that way. I moved to Singapore for a year, was teaching Mandarin there. A lot of business people, right, doing work with China, needed some elements of the language. Moved to Hong Kong for a year, was teaching Hong Kongese Mandarin because everyone is speaking Cantonese there, right? This was like, again, 2011, 2012. So very different scene there than what it is now. And then I moved to LA and I was like, what am I going to do here? And so I started teaching Mandarin. And I think the timing of Mandarin feeling like an important language to get into. I had a client that was absorbed by a Chinese video game company. And that just kind of took off with executives needing to speak Mandarin or have at least even just like a understanding of who am I working with, right? Again, like no one knows anything, it felt like. And being in LA, I've been able to teach actors and actresses their lines in Mandarin, which has been really a fun twist to the coaching side of things. So it's been this really fun language journey that I've been going on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, listeners, wondering how you can support us? The biggest way is by increasing our visibility by following us on Instagram at Where Are You From Pod, on TikTok at But Where Are You Really From, subscribing to our YouTube channel under But Where Are You Really From Podcast, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, and telling your friends. The more people we can get to listen to the show, the more we can continue spotlighting different perspectives and stories. And if you feel so inclined, we're also accepting donations at buymeacoffee.com slash where are you from. Thanks, y'all. It's interesting making the decision to learn Mandarin, how it's made decisions for where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do for work really blows my mind, I think. So for people that are interested in learning Mandarin, the answer is yes, go for it. It, it just really brings opportunities that I did not expect. And I think it will continue to do so for a while here. 
Well, as you teach now, how do you keep your proficiency up? Because teaching, I probably is like a little bit difficult because you can't have like a full conversation sometimes with the person. But how do you keep your own skills up and learn new phraseology or terms or words? Actually, that's what I like about teaching it is that I feel like I'm actually able to sustain it. I have been back in the states now for ten years and. Through teaching it, it's actually helped me expand my own vocabulary. I've been put into s- sectors that I didn't really understand, like tech industry, and so I've really had to learn a lot of tech vocabulary. Translating for movies and TV shows has been interesting because it's like this really bizarre scene of you know like the aliens are coming, and and you know like I need to learn vocabulary about space exploration, you know. So I'm constantly expanding it in that way. This was also a motivation for my trip to Taiwan was to just like go to a place where I'm just like swimming in Mandarin, and that was a regular thing that I was doing living back in the states until COVID, where I was going back at least once a year to just do short trips. I was bringing students over with me, which was really. Fun and adventurous, so it's going back to Asia for sure helps. And teaching it is honestly, I, I'm so grateful to to be teaching it because it's allowing me to maintain it, but also strengthen it in a lot of ways. You you guys speak a bit of Mandarin. We speak Mandarin. Yes. <laughs> we speak Mandarin. No, we do. It's kind of weird when you grow up as an American-born whatever, because at best your parents try their best to like pass on the language. And we also went to Chinese school every Sunday for three hours, from five years old to eighteen or whatever. And we speak, depending on the parent, I think, but like we speak more or less Mandarin with our parents at home. But when we go back to Taiwan. We usually get like a slap of reality when we get there because there's just so much vocabulary that we don't use or we don't even know because societies are run differently. There are different terms for different things.、I、was there in January and it was the first time for me where I was like, "Wow, I need to really uplevel my Mandarin because all the other times we go back with our families, so it's very easy because they kind of like shepherd you around. They're just like, 'Here's food. Let's go somewhere. Like, let's do this.'" Stuff and you're like awesome, but this time it was like my parents were there, but we were staying separately because I brought my in-laws and my husband. So it was very weird because I was kind of like tour guide, but I'm not local, so I was expected to kind of take them around, and I was often not with my family, so I was the only Mandarin speaker, and I really got tested. That's good for you, right?、Yeah. It was good, but it was very challenging, and like I really got a dose of reality. Because something that I've always been quite proud of, and my mom was like too proud of it. I think she's like, "Oh, I like made you speak Mandarin properly. Like, I don't have like typical American-born accent. I my accent is pretty on par with like Taiwanese Mandarin. However." Because I lack vocabulary, I can still sound awkward when I'm trying to like explain something.、Um, so that's where I stumbled, really. When you're in Taiwan speaking Mandarin, do people react in any way? Is there like a confusion, you know, or is there like a general welcoming to you using your language in that way? Yeah, Jesse and I talk about this a lot, actually. So I think they can tell we're off in some way because just by the way that we dress and we look, like number one. I'm quite dark, right? I'm from California, so I like to tan. I let the sun do its thing. But most Asian people in 
in Asia, especially women, don't like to get tan. So I already kind of like look off for many reasons. However, I think because of the way I speak, they just kind of accept that like, oh, I don't know, you look weird, but like you, you sound like us, it's fine. But it's the times when I like don't understand really basic things that they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I know I, I'm there with you. There were a lot of words where I was like, what does that mean? They're like, it means toilet. <laughs> you know, it's like the easiest word, right? Where it's like, how did I not know that? I mean, no, that's I also that. a China versus Taiwan thing, because you mentioned the traditional Chinese. It's so funny, because when I was 18, and I went with my family to China, I think it was the first time in a long time that I was in Beijing. So I was walking around by myself. And I was like, I can't read shit, because I can't read simplified. We grew up learning traditional. But the transition, yeah, I can't imagine the other way around. I think native speaking people, native people who like grew up with Chinese can easily read both because they know the foundations of like why words are built a certain way. But for all intents and purposes, Jesse and I are Americans. So like we don't have that kind of like foundation in us. So we were just like, you know, memorize that this word is that sound. And that's about like the only reason I know <laughs> how to read that. I don't know the like way things are built. So when I stare at simplified, I'm often like, I don't know what this is. And a lot of times, there's like whole, you know, chunks just taken out. I'm like, this could be any word. <laughs> like, For me, my background was completely simplified, very mainland Chinese. But going to Taiwan, I'm wondering if the transition's a little bit easier, actually. I was proud of myself after the end of three months being able to be like, ah, oh, I can read that sign now. You know, there's something I think that I like with what you guys are doing is it's it's kind of building this community around a shared experience, whether that's being Asian or Asian American or speaking man, right? Like it's really fun to have community around these, I think, core parts. Interestingly, I have this Discord server, it's called Chinatown. And it's really just this like English and Mandarin speaking community. That's a safe space. It's queer. They have a hot pot channel where people are sharing pictures of food that they've made for sharing recipes and have a few guest speakers that join. So I would love it if you guys joined in and shared with the community. And it's, it's funny. It's like around language. It's we're joking. There's a lot of memes about Mandarin. It's Amazing. Yeah, we'd love to join that. And also, this is a perfect time to let you plug both the Discord, your TikTok, whatever you want to plug. Let everyone know where to find you, where to join your communities. Okay, so I have a TikTok. It's called at Queer Mandarin. I share a lot of my experiences in China. And I'm also trying to make the language a little bit more accessible to learning it. So it's like teaching phrases and kind of understanding the language really. That's then pouring into my Discord server, which is called Chinatown. It's an English and Mandarin speaking community that's safe, it's queer, it's inclusive. And that's with people from around the world. And yeah, thanks so much for letting me plug that. Of course, and thank <laughs> you yeah, for joining you for us. Joining. Was, yeah, such a fun episode. I agree. I had a good time hanging out and chatting with you guys. It's good to meet you guys. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. We hope you learned something new today. We hope you go check out TikTok and the channel that Nick has put out. And uh, we hope you come back next week because we will have a fresh new episode for you then. And until then, bye. 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 Bye.